Hey listeners, it's Andy, and I'm here to see if you've tried Audible yet. With an incredible selection of audiobooks, it is the perfect way to dive deeper into the stories upon which some of your favorite films are based. Audible members get a credit every month to redeem on any audiobook they like, plus access to a huge plus catalog of podcasts, originals, and more. Just imagine listening to the books that inspired movies like The Bourne Identity, Moneyball, or sci-fi classics like Dune. The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to thenextreel.com slash audible or text thenextreel to 500-500. Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Get going. Get going. That's where we started. I pushed record on get going. Get going. Yeah. Get it going. Don't, don't, don't go into the voice. What's the voice? I don't know. You started sounded a little bit, Dan, a little bit Dana Carvey. Oh, <laughs> I can't, I can't. Once you tell me like, oh, you're doing that, then I can't do it. No, I know. Like I, I can't know. do it anymore. Um, it for me. We, uh, okay, let's do, uh, let's, let's talk about uh, movies uh, of the week. Have you seen anything good? Anything new? Oh, man, no. I have not seen anything new at all this week. This has been a very, very busy week, and I haven't had a chance to see are you, anything. Are you working on a fun, are you working on a fun project, documentary, something or other? Um, I am working on a, uh, I, tell me something, in your neck of the woods, have you guys heard of uh, our wonderful sheriff? Joe Arpaio. He, he doesn't. He doesn't do good things. He doesn't. He doesn't. No. He's I, from he's, what I understand, and I don't. I. I don't mean this as you know slander. Mm-hmm. I am. This is simply reportage. I don't know the man. I have never met him. What I hear, in terms of direct quotes about him, is he is a tool. Mm. He really knows how to sell himself, though. He really. He's a marketing. Um, I, I might want to even say Maverick. He Would just, you say Wunder, Wunderkind? <laughs> wunderkind. He's a Wunderkind? Yeah. Joe yeah, Arpaio is a Wunderkind? He's, he's a good, yeah. He's a good. He's, he's, Ausgezeichnet. Ausgezeichnet. Yeah. Ausgezeichnet. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, but anyway, um, the person that I work for, we've been, uh, he's been doing a documentary about Joe 
for probably like seven years now with kind of exclusive access to Joe. He's now he's the civil rights guy, right? I mean, just so everybody knows why he's the isn't he the guy who set up he's, all the you know. Uh, he's he's the guy who's really doing some terrible things in Arizona for civil rights. Is that what well, I understand? Well, he, he, in a certain perspective, that's, I mean, not his perspective, of course, you no. know. In in his world, he's the hero. You know how it always is. The antagonist always sees himself as the protagonist. Um, he is um, really a an opponent to any sort of um, immigration into the country, um, you know, he says he doesn't, you know, single out, you know, pulling over Latinos, but they're, you know, the, the feds just came out with a report today stating that, that, uh, he does. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of unsavory things that have gone on in the sheriff's, um, prisons and jails, the, um, the big thing that I think spurred all of this on is there are a few, you know, towns in the area that are uh, um, the the cities didn't have enough money to have their own police departments, so they hired the sheriff's department to come in and kind of be their police department. And now that they have kind of built their own police departments, they've found out that the um, sheriff's office was not doing anything about lots of sex crime cases and there's like 400 some sex crime cases that are now um there everyone's looking into so you know there's a lot of unsavory activities um he makes all of the prisoners in his prisons wear pink you know it's you know he he's kind of a degrading sort of fellow it's but, fascinating. i'm uh, looking at f- pictures i'm looking at pictures on uh, google yeah, and it's it all they are they're all pink, pink. Very big day in the news for him because of the feds um, basically saying that um, he was committing these, you know, atrocities and all this stuff. Even though it just said that they're going to, instead of like taking him away, they're now going to just sit down and work with him to figure something out. That's, That's basically, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we're, we've been working on this documentary, kind of following it, and uh, um, a lot of intimate access with. Uh, Sheriff Joe, and you know, I don't know. We'll see what happens with it. It could be this. We could be getting close to the end of the story. Who knows? Wow, the, this is amazing. The the equipment that he gives these guys. I'm looking at these. What they're calling the L.A. Times is calling battlefield tested technology. The patrol cars outfitted with computer systems used in Iraq. Mm. Enable deputies to respond to calls faster and get data on subjects instantly. This is a tank. He's got his big tank in all of the Christmas, like when we went down and watched the uh, Christmas light uh, parade, he always is in all the Christmas light parades with his tank decorated in Christmas lights. That's amazing. And and the crowd is always, half of the people are cheering for him and half of the people are booing wow. when he rolls by. It's, it's always, I mean, he is a character and uh, even he himself, you know, says that he is, that what he's doing, it's all the Joe show. I mean, he's kind of named it all himself yeah. as the Joe Show. So it'll be really interesting to see where, where this documentary ends up going. It, so it's not being produced for any particular, uh, it's not a, a project for any particular uh, channel yet? Nope, nope. It's, uh, it's independent. It's not tied in with any um, party affiliations. It's not tied in with anything. It's, it's kind of a, you know, just a look at this guy and, and his... Um, his 
you know, rule as sheriff down here. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. It's a, it's a really interesting documentary. Um, and well, it will be when it's done, but just the story that, uh, that he has, it's, it's a very interesting one. So I look forward to seeing how it all turns out. Uh, so that's your, uh, that's your big project. That, that's my end of the spectrum, I what, guess. The, uh, uh, so I, uh, I'm just looking at, um, a couple of trailers came out that surprised me this week. I feel like, you know, by the time people listen to this, they're going to be kind of old news, but, uh, uh, did you, did you see, uh, this is, you're not going to have seen this GI Joe, GI <laughs> Joe two. I, I did see that trailer retaliation. Did that kind of blow you away? I was, I was, I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know that the movie was coming. And I, when I saw who was in it, I was kind of blown away. I agree, uh, that I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> I, you know, and I don't mean I say blown away. That usually has a really uh, sort of a positive connotation, and I, this is really completely neutral. I don't, I don't. I was blown away, just in general, surprised that uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, not surprised Dwayne Johnson said it, but Bruce Willis. Yeah, I know. Really? Well, well, because I didn't see Dennis Quaid in the trailer, so I'm wondering if yeah, he, he's gone. He kind of pulled out of it, and now they've brought Bruce Willis in to kind of be the big face of the show. So, well, and where do you stand then on uh, the Expendables two? That's the one where the stunt guy died. I don't know that story. They were shooting a scene over somewhere in like Estonia, I believe, and um, I can't remember the specifics, but like a, a stunt guy died while they were while they were filming or you know after filming or something but yeah it was kind of a big story over there so wow. um i you know the expendables was um a popcorn entertainment i, I, I didn't guess. see it was it good i mean like popcorn was it good popcorn entertainment no no, no. <laughs> i mean it was it was entertaining but you know it was certainly something that that you can walk out of just kind of forgetting i guess yeah I, that being uh, I said, though, I, I will say about The Expendables, I do like the fact that they got all those old 80s action stars together to put in a movie together. Yeah. And so now, that, that, was now that they have done it again. Yes. That's fascinating to me. I'm curious if they're adding more 80s action stars. Yeah. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean Van Damme is in it, right? I don't know. Yeah, he is. He's in it. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Okay, we've got Sylvester Stallone, Jason <laughs> Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck yep. Chuck Norris. Excellent. There you Ter go. Again. Terry Crews, Randy Couture, Liam Hemsworth, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Bruce Willis, Arnold Schwarzenegger, writers, Sly Stallone. Here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Uh, have you seen JCVD? I haven't. I haven't. I heard it was interesting, though. Put that on the list. We, we, it should be on the list. You need to watch it and tell me if, uh, if it hits you sideways like it hit me in, a, yep. in the best way. Yeah, I was really moved by that movie. Well, I was surprised, uh, surprisingly moved. Put it on your I, list. I'm curious about it. It, yeah. it always kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, not to the point where I've gone out and watched it yet, but you know, I, worth it. I, I'll, I'll, I'll have to watch it. It's worth. It's definitely worth checking out. It makes me think of that. Um, I'm not going to remember remember the name of it, but Bruce Campbell was in a movie similar where he was playing Bruce Campbell. And these guys bring him to this little town in the middle of nowhere to this film festival. 
and you know accidentally in the process unleash some ancient evil spirit that Bruce Campbell the actor you know now everybody's <laughs> relying on him to actually try to get rid of even though he's really just the actor what, Bruce Campbell. was that uh was that my name is Bruce that's what it that was, was the yeah. one uh, that was it yeah <laughs> I I like Bruce Campbell I'm a big fan of uh, Burn Notice the TV show he's on uh, I haven't seen it it's a it's a it's a good show it's a good show I uh okay um I had other news but I think we should talk about this movie a little late. We got a little late start. I think we should talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, this is a. Uh, uh, this is the third in our um, Charlie Kaufman trilogy. Yeah, we took a little holiday break. We did, and we're jumping back in with with this one. This is uh, directed by Michael Gondry, Michel um, Michel Gondry, a French Michel. French dude. Oui. We. I'm fascinated by uh, Gondry. I can't wait to hear what you think of this guy. Uh, this movie, oh man, this you know I, I'll I'll say this was actually the um, this was the first Charlie Kaufman written movie that I knew was Charlie Kaufman when I saw it. Hmm. When I when I saw the other two, I did not I, I was not sort of consciously aware that they were quote sort of air quote Kaufman films mm-hmm. uh, and this one was the first one that I was actually making a conscious connection to the writer and uh, I this movie moves me so deeply my question for you is does your wife like this movie we both love this movie really yeah except um, something about the way Kaufman tells his stories my wife um, told me she's like, I don't think I could watch any of those movies more than once a year. Hmm. So, so it's not something that would be repeated viewing for her. My wife does not like this movie, and I my operating hypothesis was that chicks don't like this movie in particular. Hmm. And now you've just blown it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll blame it on my wife. All right. She's well, not, that, that's easy. Here. That's an easy. That's that's fish in a barrel. I <laughs> think uh, this movie. The reason this movie hits me so well is that uh, more than the like fantastically subtle sci-fi that that is going on in this movie, is that it is a movie that deals at the genetic core of male vulnerability in serious relationships. How's yeah. that? How's that? Wow. That's heavy, man. That's was, good. Was it too heavy for you? Did I just did I blow your mind a little bit? <laughs> well, it's yeah, and uh, I, t- I I don't know if I would go so far as to just just say male vulnerability. I, I mean, I do you, do I, you, were there women in this movie? I don't even remember. All I know is that Jim Carrey cried a lot. <laughs> he does cry a lot. But, cried like a but, babe, like a babe. But we have we. Have Mary? Are you forgetting Mary? Yeah, you're doing that. Your internet's doing that thing again. Is it my, now? I got to get my notepad and write down. Oh, we've been talking for so long, and now I have to edit. Well, let's see. The um, but no, it's it's um, it's a film. You know, what's interesting is I also 
pulled out the script and was looking through the script again because I re- remembered when I that I was um, involved in a writing group and we would actually find we would uh, do these monthly movie viewings where we would. I just plugged in my. I'm wired now well, as opposed to wireless. That's so, good. I, I yes. think that might, hopefully that'll be better. Yeah. All right. But, so you, um, do, we, uh, so you, you uh, go ahead. You're doing the writing thing. I, I was in a screenwriter's group, and we would do monthly movie nights where we would read the script, and then we would watch the movie, and then we would go out afterward and, and discuss. And so I had the script, and so I pulled it out again because the one thing that I – really remembered from the script aside from it just being a great read let me pull it up here there's a lot that's uh, that's moved around movie was really butchered from the script uh, it, i don't know if i'd say butchered well i mean just scenes were moved around like a funky puzzle a lot of the a lot of Let's, the intro dialogue was moved from the end to the beginning yeah the entire beginning sequence where um, Joel and Clementine meet in Montauk and kind of fall for each other, have a little connection and everything. The whole scene, that whole, or the whole sequence, I should say, um, was originally in the script at the end. And, uh, you know, in the editor, we needed to start with something where we can like Clementine, because if you just jump into the movie and we start watching as he's as she's getting erased from his mind it's just all the negative clementine right Right, at the beginning and no one's gonna like her so they wanted to they so they moved some of it up front which was i think a really smart move it it does help and it also really works on that um that non-chronological puzzle that we're trying to figure out like where are we you know he walks outside and the car is um you know, scrape down the side and he assumes it's his neighbor and, you know, all that great stuff that later we learn how the car actually got got damaged and everything. Uh, you know, for people who haven't, I, I hope that people wouldn't be listening to this movie if they hadn't actually, or listened to this podcast if they hadn't actually seen the movie. But for those who haven't, uh, go see the movie first. But let's do a quick recap of what the movie is uh, actually about. You want to do that? Yeah. Um, sure. Let me read it this time. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, okay. It's tricky. I kind of, so let me just read this off of beingcharliecoffman.com. All right. This is what they have as the pitch. Introverted boy meets extroverted girl. Boy and girl have a relationship. Relationship ends. Girl undergoes a medical procedure to erase boy's existence and has the same procedure done to himself. But halfway through, as he relives each memory in reverse chronological order, bad breakup to great beginning, all played out on screen for us, he realizes that some of those memories are worth holding on to. Boy tries to fight against the erasure. This is Charlie Kaufman and Michelle Gondry's topsy-turvy spin on romantic comedy, an original script based on an idea by Pierre Bismuth, a conceptual artist friend of Michelle's. It's also attained the biggest cult following and the most critical commercial success of any Kaufman film to date. That last bit obviously was not part of the synopsis, but right. I just plowed right through it. So there you go. The uh, I this is I, I, as you're reading that, I'm thinking to myself, how would you ever pitch that and get that movie made? <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, well, you know what's interesting is they actually started pitching this in 1998. Wow. So before uh, Being John Malkovich was made. That's fascinating. Yeah. This, so it took uh, quite- I, I, it, it's good. I'm, I'm, it sort of needed time to percolate because in so Quite many a while. Ways, this... Oh, your internet's doing that thing. Still? Let it's me turn still, off the it's, video. It's really, yeah, let's... That's sad. Makes me sad. I know. I like looking at you. <laughs> uh, That's so sweet. Yeah. What are you going to do? The, yeah. The, but, I, I was saying that, that this is a, um, you know, in, in so many ways, this movie actually, I, I'm so glad we did these three movies in a row because you, you sort of see the evolution of, I think, the this male character in Charlie Kaufman's head. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I see now. The, I don't, uh, now I'm totally second guessing every time you're silent. I think you're cutting out on me now. <laughs> no, uh, you're, you're talking about just the the role of, I guess you could say, the male protagonist across these three films. Yeah, yeah. How... yeah because with every film, with every film, he takes this male character to another, like just slightly further place. You know, mm-hmm. there's always this in, in some places it's, it's a metaphorical um, transformation. It's some in, in some it's a, a quite literal, uh, you know, going through the door um, mm-hmm. into Malkovich's head, a quite literal transformation. And and uh, in this one going into that, that much of the movie takes place in Joel Barish's mind like it's he he with his he he agrees to let this massively invasive procedure take place and to go inside and and explore quite literally all of his emotions and his his feelings mm-hmm. uh, and that that sort of internal struggle that you see play out inside of his head i think is extremely powerful um uh, and and it it to me it punctuates the the being john malkovich the adaptation uh, uh, the the male protagonist in those two movies. It sort of it sort of finishes it. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to you, does it? Yeah, in a very well to a certain extent. It's it's all about you know males and uh, and their identity, really. You know, I mean, that's really what we're what I, I think that's what he's really exploring is right. is identity and and who are we and what. What makes us, you know, in the first one, um, <clears throat> we learned that Craig Schwartz can't be, he finds that he can't, you know, being this puppeteer, he can't be complete and, and have what he wants unless he's really controlling something, which ends up being John Malkovich. And it, and it kind of ruins his life, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, since it pretty much ends it <laughs> by locking him in the mind of a child. Right. Um, in adaptation, you know, we've got these, uh, these kind of almost split personality brothers and, uh, twins of, um, of Charlie Kaufman and his brother, um, that are struggling with, with their own identity as a screenwriter or as screenwriters trying to adapt a story and, and what it means to, um, have passion about telling a story and, and just, you know, and what that means about you and just having passion in your own life and, and all of that. 
Um, and then this one is really about, you know, what is it that makes you as a person, you know, especially, well, particularly in a relationship. In a relationship. That's what I was going to yeah. say, because in these first two movies, the, the relationships are peripheral to that transformation, right? In this movie, it is so raw because the, the, the lessons we're learning about identity are directly related to the relationship. Yeah. So the, the, the first part, we were talking about the first part of the movie, the first 17 minutes, right? Up until that's that's when the credits roll, the opening credits roll, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you're you're well into the movie, and and you have explored for seventeen minutes this this very positive and sort of um, uh, gentle kind of fragile opening relationship where he is he is awkward and she is so uh, the uh, uh, the Kate Winslet is is this just beautiful bubbly. Um, uh, Clementine, they meet in Montauk and end up falling in in sort of fast love. Mm-hmm. And then the credits roll, and we cut to him in tears in a truck or in his car. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what to make of that. Exactly. It's it's really, I mean, it's a great, and you don't know that at this point that you're watching things out of chronological order. Right. So it seems like, oh, we just jumped from the beginning of their relationship to now we're at the end of their relationship. Right. And, you know, I know, I know that's exactly what I thought when I saw it. You know, it's like, okay, this is the end of their relationship. That was just setting us up so I knew how pleasant everything was with their relationship and the magic of it and everything. And then now we watch it crumble. Um. But it's, um, yeah, and then watching a relationship um, deconstruct. Actually, I guess you would say watching a a relationship reconstruct because you're really watching it go from bad to good. Well, that's the the, sort of the magic of it, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's what makes it a story of redemption. Right. Uh, uh, Because by the end of the movie, you've, you've earned it. In this, uh, you know, in the first half hour, it almost feels like... Um, you know, we watch him. So we it, it, at thirty minutes is his. It, he, we hit his first visit to the doctor, mm-hmm. and the doctor is at the uh, Lacuna Inc. Uh, right, Doctor Howard Mirzwiak, uh, who is a, a doctor who can erase sel- uh, memories selectively. Mm-hmm. And what our protagonist uh, Joel has learned is that Kate Winslet has already visited this doctor. Uh, and after their horrible breakup, uh, she has decided to have Joel erased from her memory. Right. And so Joel, in, I think, emotional retaliation, decides to do the same. Yeah. So all of this is jammed into the first half hour of the movie. Right, right. right. Uh, I would say, I don't know, maybe that's 40 minutes. No, no, it's actually about 35 it's... minutes. 35 minutes, they're in yeah. his house. Yeah, it's pretty quick. And that's really when the movie starts. Yeah, then you then you start watching the relationship and, and just the whole story. Plus, you get that's when all the subplots really kick in with the the technicians who are removing his thought or his memories. Would you, as it, since you've already walked through the movie with your you know the big brains on campus, uh, <laughs> you know how how would you characterize just technically? Uh, could you walk through technically some of the some of the tricks they used 
um, to uh, play with the erasure of memory. For the next like 40 minutes, we watch his memories being erased and they did some really fascinating things. Yeah, and you know what was great about it is they didn't do um, a lot of flashy, modern um, can- uh, technological like CG tricks. I mean, they did they did CG tricks, but it was much more subtle. Um, the very first memory that gets erased is um, he's in his apartment complex's um, foyer by the mailboxes and he's talking to his neighbor again. Um, but then all of a sudden then everything except for Joel kind of starts fading, getting a little blurry and kind of getting dark to the point where it's, that it's just gone. So that's the, that's the first one, you know? And so, and it's an interesting one because literally we had just watched that scene before he goes up to his apartment and right. takes the pills and goes to sleep. These guys come in. So we're at that point. Now we start going backward, and then we um, jump to his friends when when Joel actually finds out about this whole thing, and you you start seeing all of these different scenes and a lot of really interesting um, way they do it, where they're playing with depth of their the camera's depth of field, where like Joel is in focus, but like everything just past him falls out of focus and it, it keeps happening and, and that's something where some of it may have been in camera but I'm sure they also did some digital manipulation with that but I mean it works really well right a, a lot of things start disappearing you know um, signs all of a sudden are blank um, I think the bookstore is just fantastic you know all the book um, the spine the covers all start all of a sudden kind of just turning white um, and that's actually kind of interesting because they didn't have enough budget to completely just just do all of them and so in between takes the uh, production designer and his team would go in and they would actually pull the uh, the dust jackets off the book flip them over and put them back on so so, <laughs> so the they white were actually, side was out yeah so the white side was out so they were actually going in and manually doing it like every time there was a cut they would go in and do a couple more books so so slowly, all of these books are just turning more and more white. And then they digitally uh, did some more. Um, they do a lot of playing with light and shadow where it's almost like a hot spotlight shining on Joel. And everything else is kind of falling out of that light. And the light kind of moves around. And so sometimes you'll see Clementine. She's in the light. And then the camera and the light will kind of pan away from Joel and when it comes back she's gone. You know, a it's lot of very it's very like. sort of horror inspired. It really is kind of like if this were a horror film. Yeah. I mean, it could be really creepy because it's it's a very kind of surreal way for like for a ghost for example could disappear and reappear. Right. Yeah. There's uh um Okay, so they do that. They do, there's a lot of looping. There's a lot of looping where he is trying to cross the street and can't, where he's in the doctor's office and and uh, he ru- walks through one office and suddenly is looking at himself mm-hmm. bringing in all of his memory, his memory bag into the office from a few moments earlier. Right. Um, there's uh, seats where they go into a room and like everybody's faces are gone. Right, right. I think it, it oh yeah, that was just uh, that was a terrible thing when they were on the phone. Uh, he walks into the doctor's terrible. office, he's on the phone. The yeah. the pieces where they actually, I mean, you can there that's obvious CG manipulation are are the scenes where the the sort of elements 
in the scene are actually disappearing. We're at the drive-in movie, and the and the right. fence starts disappearing the one car plank at, the, at a time. Right, the car the and the car fence, dissolves. like exactly when he's when he's taken when when they start at, at one point. So the the premise of this dissolution of his memory is that um, you know they are they're in his apartment back in the real life in the real world, mm-hmm. and they have this fancy contraption on his head, and one by one they're going through and targeting his memories. And they are erasing them, and then we right. cut back into his into his mind, and those elements, physical elements that he's seeing, start to disappear. And as he discovers and, and sort of changes his mind about having his memory erased, uh, he starts trying to choose places that were not memory triggers that would not be on the target of of erasure, and dragging his, his you know memory version of Clementine with him to those places. And and one of the one uh, of the uh, memory locations that I found was really powerful for a couple of reasons, but but that I thought was really well played was when they went to his house as a kid. Mhm. Um Wh- which time was it when he was really young? Yeah, when he was Cause, really Cuz there was like there was like at least three or four different ages. Well, there were, there were there were two of them that that stuck out to me. The first one from a dramatic perspective I I liked the um it, it was, you know, further toward the end of the film, which is, uh, you know, when it shows up and there are all the kids sitting around the, the uh, radio flyer, and mm-hmm. he is holding a hammer over a, over a pigeon. Yeah, uh, a dead bird. A dead bird, and he's hammering the bird. Yeah, I know. Well. Uh, so that was that was uh, not not good. But that I, I liked that scene in particular. I like how she sort of comes in to rescue him and her memory version is taking control in his yeah. own memory. I thought that was powerful. But back to the technical uh, bit. They they go to his house and they use the uh, the the sort of forced perspective trick to make Jim Carrey the the size of a, you know, 6-year-old, I guess. And then younger than that. He was younger than that. Yeah, I would think he was probably maybe four at that point. Four, but then and and then it switches to him being small enough to be bathed in the sink. Yeah, like an infant. Yeah, like an infant. And so that even within that that sort of sequence at his house, uh, did they do that with a you know the the Hobbit style force or or the Lord of the Rings style force perspective or was that they did some they did they did some of that force perspective. Where they had, you know, a, a big set where everything was huge. They had him kind of um, in that environment, and then they had Clementine uh, much closer to the camera so that she looked actual size. Fascinating. Yes. The uh, uh, that was a bit I thought he played uh, really well. Jim, I have sometimes I have a hard time with Jim Carrey, and I thought he did that really well. Yeah, this, you know, I think this is one of his strongest performances um, ever. I just, you know, is so good. I think the whole cast, him, Kate Winslet as Clementine, um, I think they were just spot on perfect. I, I mean, Kate, Kate Winslet's character, Clementine, you know, I, I read that she made Premier Magazine's 100 Greatest Movie Characters of All Time list back in... Uh, 2006 i believe it was well it it is a terrific uh terrific film and this movie has has uh, achieved great uh critical acclaim it's on all the you know name the top 100 
uh, and higher lists of great movies, and this one's on it. Uh, it, it also has some some great supporting uh, supporting performances as well. You know, we've we've talked a little bit about um, um, Tom Wilkinson as as the doctor, Doctor Beersweak, right? Who, man, he is uh, he's just uh, terrific, and his staff is made up of these just s- sort of goofs. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, this is, mm-hmm. I think, it may have been the first movie I I think I remember seeing him in. Hmm, interesting. Uh, uh, Kirsten Dunst, um, uh, Elijah Wood as as uh, now Elijah Wood is an, an interesting character. <laughs> this is this I think of the movies I've seen of his has to be his creepiest role. Really, maybe creepy. this or this or Sin City. I mean, Sin City he's creepy because he's a psychopathic killer, but this is like I mean he steals girls' panties. I mean, <laughs> it's like really creepy. Uh, I know, uh, I know. And then know. he goes and starts dating them. I mean, it's like, oh, really? Oh. Yeah, no, it's it's not uh it's not good. That's that's his gimmick is that his he is he is there and he now I I, I uh, maybe I'm not remembering this right. Does he actually work on the staff or or is he he's just a hired that's, he's one of the hired goons. Yeah, he and Mark Ruffalo are They're the two the techs. techs. And so go to the house, right? Yeah, because he was there, like plugging wires in, and I think it was it was unclear what his specific role was, especially since he doesn't show up later. He he skips well, out later. He's yeah he he yeah. skips out to go find his girlfriend, right. who is Clementine, because when they erased Clementine, he fell in love with her and he started a and relationship with her. Started stealing like, oh, Joel stealing. Parrish's memories of her yeah. uh-huh. to to woo her. Yeah. His uh, memories, his gifts for her. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that is the is sort of the major subplot is is, uh, you know, not only is Mark Ruffalo sort of leading the charge to, um, you know, to track down memory Joel and mm-hmm. erase those memories before he can skip out to another, you know, another location. But, uh, you know, there's this other sort of chase where Elijah Wood uh, is chasing Clementine while Joel is chasing Elijah Wood, trying to figure out who this mystery guy is. Right, because he's never seen his face and before. There, that, is one of the, that is one of the best bits. Uh, it's it, creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. In the bookstore, when he walks over to the back of the head and starts and, and grabs him by the shoulder and turns him around. Uh-huh. And what you see then, he turns him around and really quickly, his, it's the back of his head again. Right. Uh, that is one of the creepiest bits. And I think so, what may top it for me is when he stumbles into him at the doctor's office without realizing it's the same guy. And he looks down at him and Elijah would like drop something on the floor and is picking it up. And his eyelids are like... Yes. Reversed. They're like upside down. It's just so, <laughs> so disturbing when he looks up at Joel. It's like, what? It really is unsettling. Uh, what do you, uh, where do you stand on, on Michelle Gondry? Um, Gen- g- general body of work stuff. I've only seen, I think, two films of his. This one and his previous film with Charlie Kaufman, which was called, what was it called? Um, Human Nature. 
which I really didn't like at all. <laughs> Although, to fit along with everything else that Charlie Kaufman's done up to this point, was uh, it's, it still is all about identity. Right. Uh, but it, I just hated it. Absolutely just thought it was atrocious. Um, and I haven't seen anything else of his. You know, uh, The Science of Sleep, I thought it looked really cool, but um, I don't know, I just never never wanted to see it. Be Kind, Rewind, and The Green Hornet both just looked really bad, and they ended up getting bad reviews. So, Well, Be, Be Kind, Rewind was, was, you know, it was dumb. Uh, I... I I the Green Hornet is you know it, it's a I, I'm just some of these movies I'm so surprised he is he did like I I just don't get like there I don't see you know you look at Charlie Kaufman's stuff right and there's sort of a general theme of the the work he creates and is a part yeah. of and right. I don't I just don't see that that theme from Michelle Michelle Gondry he started doing a lot of music related stuff he did music videos he did music documentaries you know Daft Punk stuff uh, mm-hmm. uh, he did some work for sort a lot of stuff for Bjork which says which tells I, I think a yeah lot that's of, telling that's yeah. very telling right um, but you know a massive attack the Chemical Brothers um, and then he starts getting into you know uh, kind of B-movie type stuff, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind was, I think, his first major film. Well, Human Nature... Oh, yeah, I know. you're right. Human Nature was 2001. Yeah, it came out first. Yeah. Um, it was... I, I don't know how big I would say it was. Well, it was, a, it was a hit Patricia Arquette film. That's... <laughs> so that, that may say enough. Yeah, it, it didn't... Uh, it didn't do well. No. It didn't do well. But it was this pretty one, bad. this one was a just—I mean, it was fantastic. He just, yeah. he just nailed it. And then since then, uh, I just there's a whole lot of uh, nothing really exciting. He did do, uh, you know, a, a terrific episode of Flight of the Concords, which is one of my very favorite uh, shows. Um, wow. And uh, uh, another one that surprised me. Uh, it hurts that I can't remember now. There was one. There was another thing on his uh, bio that really surprised me, but it's uh, it's gone. Well, he's you know he is one of the two directors that um, Charlie Kaufman has worked with um, that Charlie works very intimately with when they're making one of Charlie's screenplays into a film. Mm-hmm. The other being Spike Jones, and we've talked about two of those films, those right. collaborations. Um, and then he's had these two collaborations um, now with Michel Gondry. Um, and uh, I think that this is the sort of director that Charlie Kaufman really likes to work with. Somebody who um, is collaborative, who will want him to be there and be on set and throw ideas out and really kind of be a part of the team and and be part of the um, the storytelling process to make a better film. And I think that's why on uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I think that's why Charlie Kaufman felt so bitter and disappointed because George Clooney um, really wanted to kind of do everything himself and kind of just, you know, um, thanked Charlie for the script. And I think that was kind of that. Hmm. I wonder if it was a better movie as a result of it. 
I don't know. It would be interesting to see it if it had been made in an alternate universe yeah. where they George and and Charlie actually were very collaborative on yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, final unsung hero of the film, I think, uh, is Tobias Funke. Ah, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, why yes. David Cross, that he didn't get a just a larger role for being who he is. I I could watch that guy. I could just watch that guy sitting still on a bing bag chair for two hours he's, and be happy. He's so good. He's so well, good. and you, he, he, he plays Rob, Joel's friend, who's uh, married to Carrie, and they have kind of a fun relationship that's it's not like a great relationship, but you can tell that they love each other still. Yeah. It's like a lot of relationships. You know, there, they, there's that little antagonistic um, vibe that married couples who've been together for a long time kind of carry, even though that antagonism never goes deep. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's just forgettable. Kind of like, forgettable it's, antagonism. It, exactly. And I think that's what I love about this film is it, it really is a story about relationships. And you have Joel and Clementine's story, but then you have all these little subplots and just side stories of other love stories to see other relationships. And, yeah. and you get this sense of when you go through this process of actually getting memories erased. And, and this is what I think makes the film so powerful is that these two characters, in a sense, are really kind of meant to be together. And even after both Joel and Clementine have finally had the other erased from their minds, they are still drawn back to Montauk where they, you know, conveniently end up re-meeting even though we don't know, they don't think they've ever met before and, and starting a whole relationship all over again. It's really amazing. And this, let me, let me jump into the script real quick because this yeah. is what I wanted to uh, mention. Um, the script actually starts off with an old woman who's got this like, you know, a tattered manuscript, it says maybe a thousand pages that she's carrying into this um, publishing house and she's trying to get them to publish this story. She's this little old woman. Um, the person at the publishing house never wants to talk to her, but she's just like, it's, it's, it's essential that people read this. It's the truth, and I'm the only one who knows it. And uh, she leaves, disappointed that the guy hasn't seen her again. She goes down a subway, um, hops into a, a, uh, a plastic-molded chair that drops into this... this um, tunnel and she sits in it and it rises and she flies through this tube through the city and we realize oh we're in the future right <laughs> at, at the very end of the story we come back to this old woman and she sits down in in a waiting room she sits down behind the reception desk she takes this tattered manuscript drops it in her drawer an old man comes out and says how are you today mary and she's like, ah, let's see, still dying, Howard. We're back to Marion Howard. Now as old people, still running Lacuna. Wow. And, and we start getting a sense of that this whole thing has been going on for a very long time. And she has the truth, and she's trying to get it out there. And then we see another old woman come in, and she has an appointment, and her name is Clementine, uh, whatever it is, Krasinski. 
And then she goes in to sit down with Howard and he pulls out her file and there are 15 dates of erasures stretching across the last 50 years, all of them involving Joel Barish. No way. And so, yeah. And I so can't she's, believe I... Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, it's amazing. And so and it's just it's great because then she's in, well, I met this man, Joel, three years ago at a senior dance. We'd both been alone for so long. And she kind of goes on and on and on. It's, it's this thing where it's like you have this person who you're meant to be with, but because this opportunity is available to kind of erase them, you do so without realizing that you're kind of, it's a part of yourself that you can't really, you know, you can't really get rid of. I don't know. It's, I find it really interesting that it, it almost is a, um, oh, what is it? It's, it's like a look at, I don't want to say like uh, reincarnation, but it does have that sort of sense where it's like, there's a person who you're kind of meant to be with and inevitably you're going to end up being with that person. Even if you try to erase them from your mind, you'll end up back with that person. That's, uh, you know, that, that it, it's interesting to hear you talk about that and then to jump into um, how they actually played out the film. Yeah. Uh, the the way the film actually ends, we jump back to, uh, we sort of wake up after the erasure, and we're back at the beginning. He walks outside, he sees the car. The car has the scratch. He goes to the mm -hmm. train station. He's on the train. He's heading out to Montauk. They meet, they do their thing. Right. And they get home. And then she had said in the beginning, can I sleep at your, can I go back to your place to sleep? Right. And so we cut to that same sequence without that line. It's like the next line where she says, I'm just going to run and get my toothbrush. Mm -hmm. She goes inside and she gets the mail. And in the mail uh, is her file from Lacuna Inc. As it right. turns out, Mary Svevo, with, yep. with a cassette tape, Mary Svevo had, uh, there's an, uh, the, the subplot about how Mary Svevo, the admin, had had her memory erased because she'd had a relationship with a doctor and had an abortion, and she f discovered this, and in a fit of pique, she sent the files to all of the patients of Lacuna. Mm -hmm. uh, and so she obviously was no longer working there 50 years hence. Uh, in this case, that she, uh, uh, they're back in the car, and Clementine puts the cassette of her session into the cassette deck, and and the two Joel and Clementine listen to Clementine's words talking about how she feels about Joel at that point in their relationship, and she did not like him very much, right? Uh, and he thinks she's he he thinks it's some sort of a joke. She kick he kicks her out of the car. She jumps out in a rage, and she goes off confused back to her house. He goes home uh, and, and gets the same piece of mail and listens to the same cassette tape and listens to himself talking mm -hmm. about how, how he doesn't think she's very intelligent, she doesn't, she's not book smart, she doesn't have a very good uh, vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. her hair color keeps her hair changing color keeps, which was actually we should talk about the hair color it's, an, it's a trick in the, in the movie it's, it's uh, actually a mile marker in the movie yeah, it um, really it, helps. <laughs> it really, really helps. Uh, but, but the, um, uh, but the the most the the most beautiful piece. I, all of that. You sort of have to get through all of that, that little bit, that ten minutes before the last three minutes, because when he when she goes to 
uh, to his place and sees him curled up on the floor, and they they sort of talk about how confusing it is, how weird it is to listen to themselves, talk about themselves after reading these files and listening to these tapes. And he catches her in the hall and says, wait. And she says, for what, Joel? And he says, just wait for a, a while. I don't know. And they make the decision to have the relationship again, knowing that in all likelihood it would end poorly. Mm-hmm. And they say... Okay. Yeah, that's a great line that he has. Or it's like, all right. He is completely willing to accept that things may not work out, but interested enough to give it a try anyway. And 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 so as this movie is baffling and requires work to watch, right? I mean, I, yeah. I it, it requires study. It's one it of definitely those movies. Is one, it requires multiple viewings to really figure out, oh, that was from that. This is why she has a bruise and she right. pulls down her, her uh, pants to look at the big bruise on her on her butt. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, that ties to that way back at that point, et cetera, et cetera. But, but until you get to those last four minutes, you don't actually realize that this really is a story of hope. Yeah. That they could have gone the other way. It could have been a movie that that uh, you know that that dissolved. But I think it ended in such a sweet, subtle, uh, just beautiful way uh, that 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 wrapped the movie up just so well. It really does. And you know what else I really like about it is it cuts to them after that moment. It cuts to them back out on the beach in Montauk, the kind of that snowy, cold beach, and the two of them are running through the snow. And, you know, I, I can't be sure. I don't have it uh, playing in front of me right now. But I, I swear there's like a little jump cut in there. Like we're, we're watching them playing in the snow. And all of a sudden there's like a little jump cut. And then we it's and it's just more of them playing in the snow. But when I saw that, I was like, that's very interesting because it's like it's like they were repeating this multiple times and they keep coming back to it. But because they really, deep down inside, they really do love each other, they always decide to come back and, and be together every time. Even if, even if they do find out that... You know, I, uh, I have it playing here, and I'm so glad you said that. that. That even makes the end so much better. I'm usually so checked out after the hallway scene that I just sort of let that go. But you're right. It's not just once, it's twice. There are two jump cuts yeah. that where they, as they're running down the beach and it keeps bringing them back to a yeah. point early, uh, you know, just slightly ahead of where they are as it fades to white to roll credits. Yeah. I, I just think that's such a subtle, a wonderfully subtle way of saying, you know what? Relationships aren't perfect. They don't always work out, but they're still worth having. Yeah. It's yep. what makes it's what makes you who you are. I, I just love it. I, I think it's such a solid film. It's such a beautifully told story. It definitely worth you know. He definitely was worthy of winning an Oscar for it. Oh, absolutely. I Every, mean, everyone just, did this. I you know I I you know Jim Carrey. I said Jim Carrey. I have sometimes I have trouble with Jim Carrey. This was absolutely uh, a standout film for him, and it, 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 it this was the film that sort of allowed him to do. I think other films uh, of a more serious nature. Um, yeah, I, I think he had tried 
off and on beforehand. I think that definitely this was by far, I think, his most successful uh, um, journey into a much more serious sort of film. And I'm really glad that he did it. I really am. Um, he had done before that. Let's the Majestic see. is the only one that I can think of before that. The Majestic, that. Uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. Oh, Man on the Moon Man was on the kind moon. of a serious one. Yeah. Truman uh, Show. The, but see, The Truman Show was the one that that came up for me. Um, as as And so I guess, I, you know, I sort of take that back. I had uh, As soon as I said this was the one that sort of allowed him to do more serious movies, I realized I'm totally wrong. It, I, I think it was The Truman Show that actually was, got yeah. him to that. You're um, right, it was. And uh, and and we can't forget Man on the Moon. Yeah. What's going on with Jim Carrey, man? I mean, he <laughs> from from okay, Liar Liar, mm-hmm. which I thought was terrifically funny. Oh yeah. Everything yeah. before that was just sort of I you know, phone, Cable Guy was terrible. Ace Ventura was what it was. Uh, you know, The Mask was what it was. I mean, they're, they're just funny. They're funny, goofy yeah, kind of yeah, movies. Goofy films. Uh, Liar Liar was liar, terrifically liar. funny. The Truman Show, Simon Birch, Man on the Moon, uh, Skipping, Me, Myself, and Irene, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, The Majestic, Bruce Almighty, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Lemony Snicket, I actually haven't seen. But from then on out, there, uh, there's not a whole lot of good stuff. Mr. Well, Popper's Penguins? I, I think that what he's done good since Eternal Sunshine is... Is his foyer, uh, his, what am I saying? His foyers, his, his, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. His, um, the animated films that he did. Yeah, he did Horton like, Hears I, a Who. I, I really enjoy Horton Hears a Who, and I really enjoy, I'm, I'm maybe one of the only ones, but I really enjoy the Christmas Carol, the, the Robert Zemeckis. I Christmas haven't Carol. seen it. I can't I like say. it. I, I like it quite a bit. It's very, it's one uh, of those, those uncanny, uncanny valley movies. Just kind of weirds me out. Yeah, I, I don't mind those. I I, kinda, I I will see it. I'll give it that. I'm I'm yeah. gonna see it. But yeah, Jim Carrey is great. Um, you know the the cinematographer Ellen Curris. I thought that it's such like a just this amazingly beautiful naturalism, the way that the film is shot, um, and the way the memories, just all the stuff going on with the memories, the way they chose to do that. I I thought it was just beautifully done. Um. John Bryan did the music, and I just, um, you know, he's one of those composers that, you know, I, I can kind of take him or leave him, but I, I think in this one, he, he, I really enjoyed his music. Uh, it just worked really well for the film, and it kind of ties into some of the sound effects as memories are getting sucked out and everything. It does. In so many places, you're not sure if you're listening to a score or to a sound effect. It's, it's really very haunting. It, it's haunting. That's exactly a perfect word yeah. for it. Uh, in general, I, I think this is, uh, man, this is a, there's no no wonder this is on the movies we like like list. This mm-hmm. is a terrific film. There's so much meat to it. There's so, so much to say. Um, what are we doing? Uh, do you have anything else? Are you good? I am trying to think if there's anything else. I, I think I'm going to look at, you know, one thing we didn't mention, I don't know how how big it is, but, you know, the the title of the film comes from, Alexander Pope's poem, uh, Eloise and Abelard, which was the play that Craig Schwartz was doing on the streets in um, Being John Malkovich. Yes. It's the story of the, uh, 
um, you know, Eloise and Abelard's illicit love affair. Um, they, although actually I was reading about it, um, um, Abelard was her teacher and he was a very popular teacher and philosopher in Paris. Um, they get married, so they actually get married. So it's not really an illicit love affair, but apparently, according to her parents, it is. And her family um, castrates him, <laughs> which I think is like, wow. I, mean, uh, you know, I mean, as a as a father, I, I you know, can use that, I guess, as uh, as a, as a uh, tool if That's I right. really am unhappy with someone my daughter dates. But come on uh, in, son. I'd like to show yes. you. I'd like to show you an adaptation. <laughs> oh, that's rich. So, so, but then he becomes a monk, and she, um, you know, her whole thing is she would rather. Uh, she begs for um, not for forgiveness, but for forgetfulness. Um, she would rather just forget him, and that's where the line "Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind" comes from. Which, which at, I at, think is. Really interesting. It is very interesting. At some at one point, um, uh, Kirsten Dunst's character uh, actually reads the segment. Right. She uh, she initially mistakenly attributes it to Pope Alexander, <laughs> which I, I just think is great. Priceless. <laughs> uh, 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 anyway. Yep. What What are we doing next? Um. Have we decided? Are we out? Maybe we should leave it a surprise. We're going to be doing because a, you don't know because you don't know. Well, I I think we 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 discussed. We I think we kind of decided we we're going to do a uh, a movie that had something some sort of a New Year's celebration oh, so that we yeah, could yeah. ring in the New Year. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. I remember that. Do you remember what movie we had talked about doing? Not a one. <laughs> not a one. I didn't. I did not. I did. I. I look forward to pressing stop, so that you can tell me. That's right. That's, That's what we're right. Do. Well, knowing you, you won't press stop for a very long time. <laughs> That's not we'll nice. <laughs> oh my my my. <laughs>